another week, another defeat. However, the weather is glorious. I can see that you've chosen a fine, a fine drink to end the day with. And I think, uh, you know, good times are around the corner, especially outside of football. Yeah, yeah. Lovely day. Uh, it was a lovely weekend. Managed to get out in any way that we could. Um, and yeah, just just finished a, a Tuesday of work and uh, got myself a, a nice little Peroni out of the fridge. Other lagers are available, obviously. But uh, in this instance, that's what I could get my hands on. So uh, yeah, refreshed and ready to talk. Ready to talk football. Been a good day. I know for me personally, busy one. It's been very busy, but uh, at least we've got the at least we've got football as a bit of a distraction and uh, a nice distraction. Oh wait, the reality's just hit me. It's awful. Yeah, yeah. Work's a distraction from football at the moment. Yes. Well, I mean. <sighs> I think we've got a lot to yeah. discuss, haven't we? <laughs> I don't know if I want to discuss much of it. Yeah, we got we got a fair bit to talk about. Um, just feels a little bit like we're kind of... I'm very conscious that I don't want to be circ circling around the same themes mm. every time we, we get together for a chat. But it just... I find myself watching the same crap and, um, and having the same thoughts on every game that we have right now and uh, it was fantastic to be able to switch onto this podcast and listen to to the two of us talk about a, a win or a good performance <laughs> or maybe a game in which we don't get any injuries would be fantastic but what, what I are guess those you've got to take the rough with the smooth and we're used to that what are those again is it a win I've, I, I can't I can't remember the feeling of that actually <laughs> yeah, yeah one day one day we'll, we'll get on to it but the, you know the, the fixtures are coming and I'm hoping we can just catch a break, get that win and the runs behind us. 33 points. You see us needing two wins. To, yeah, so it's ridiculous that we're even talking about staying up, but the way that we're playing right now, um, one point out of 27 right now, you, we're, you've got to get to that minimum ASAP and then the rest of it, you know, we can take care of and, and see the season through and deal with that in, in the close season. But, um, yeah, right now with uh, with Fulham putting together some results, uh, West Brom getting a win at the weekend. I just want to see us get a couple of wins, so we're not looking over our shoulder. Um, and more importantly, I think I think if we get one win, that would just that just uh, turns the tide, give us some momentum and just a bit of belief because we're lacking it severely in the squad. Fingers crossed, something can happen soon. Well, um, without further ado, my name's Tom Murray. My name's Callum Wilson. And this is Under the Lights. We're on we're on thirty points. It's uh, we did increase that in our uh, by by one point in the last week with a draw against Chelsea. However, that's our only point in I think is it nine games now and. Um, who would have thought that a trip away to Sheffield United would be classed as a must-win, not for keeping keeping the pace with the sides at the top, but for actually just to guarantee that we're actually playing in this division next season? Madness, really, isn't it? Con yeah, considering that we were um, on 29 points on, when did we play Liverpool? 2nd of January, something like something, that. Yeah. First week of January, uh, and we're on 29 points. And now I'm talking to you two months later, um, and we're on 30, uh, and we've lost to some pretty poor sides as well. It's not even like, you know, we had the excuse of, oh, we've 
we've played against a few of the decent sides. And the, the point we got was against Chelsea. It's teams like uh, like Newcastle that we've we've been losing to. And well, I mean, Everton last night, yeah, Everton are a good side. And, and you know, even at our best, they put up a good contest. But... You know, some of the sides we've uh, we've been losing to have been um, have been pretty poor. You know, Wolves have had a terrible season. Just when we look like we're playing brilliantly against them in the first half, we implode. And I'm not even going to bother talking about VAR because VAR is only one part of it. You know, certain games, that Villa game, yeah, it cost us the result. The Man United game, yeah, it contributed to what is a humiliating defeat. But when you dominate a side like we did against Wolves, give away a penalty that maybe we shouldn't have, and then a second best for the rest of the game. It's a pretty poor show. Uh, and and I'm afraid there were no excuses from a, from officiating point of view, for, which is nice for a change um, against Everton. I don't know what you thought, but I've, I can't remember the last time I saw such an abject, just lacks any intensity, any energy. It looked like they weren't, like giving up all hope, to be honest, Saints. And luckily for us, Everton didn't have to get out of second gear with a, with an eye on the on the second game midweek. Yeah, I mean, I I, I put a tweet out on the, on the podcast account saying how you know the worst part was knowing that it was game over when Richarlison scored to make it one 0 I just thought there's no way we're getting back into this. What I knew it was game over before the whistle went for the start yeah. of the game. That's when I knew it was game over. I think most I don't think many fans thought we were going to get anything. Um, I'd hope that maybe we would have kept them out a bit longer. You know, a good goal from Everton. I wouldn't point too many fingers. Calvert Lewin is very hard to deal with in the air. Richarlison rounds the goalkeeper. Nothing he can do about it. But it, it, it's 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 the rest of the game that's that's even more disappointing. I think what really disappointed me was there were so many times where we just didn't apply the press. Like we seem to be jogging about occasionally, maybe Adams would make a spurt to sort towards someone. And I think the bit where it epitomized, I think was Ings, like we've been questioning maybe his commitment, but I thought he was probably the only, one of the only players, Saints players on the pitch yesterday who actually gave a damn and was running around everywhere. And then I think there was some time in, I think it was the first half where he closed down Pickford. Pickford made a poor clearance into the midfield and there was no Saints player there to be the second press. And Ings just sort of like lifted his arms up as if to say, well, I can't press them on my own. And it was just like... There's a whole, I think it's a lethargy about the team at the moment. And we can't use the excuse of we're tired because, you know, everyone else is, every other team is tired. They've got the same fixture congestion. Yes, we've got injuries and we're, having, we, we're not able to rotate as much. But th- th- there just seems to be no energy. And if it almost comes across from Ralph as well. Not that he's given up, but we're just like, what, you know, every, everyone's, and I think I saw a tweet from you earlier today about, the players saying this isn't good enough. Well, they've said that over the... We've had those interviews over the last three or four years about it's not good enough, we need to improve. Mm-hmm. And then the proof is not in the pudding. And we don't see that out on the pitch until something drastic changes. And it's almost become becomes like a joke of who's going to be the person to say, oh, we weren't good enough this this week. I mean, it used to be Hoybier who used to be that one who always answered after the poor defeats. You know, look, we've had a good start to the season, but let's think those after we beat Sheffield United 3-0, go fourth. That's 12. That was 12 games into the season. We played over 
another 12 games since then, 14 matches. We've played another, you know, another third of the season and we've been terrible injuries in VAR aside. Yeah, um, yeah. And the tweet you, you referred to was um, someone on Twitter put about <laughs> a quote from, from Jan Bednarak following the, the defeat against Everton. And, and yeah, so like you said, Hoiberg used to be the one who... who who was banging that drum. Bednarak has uh, said this time, essentially saying that they need to get their act together, which is something that Saints fans have been aware of for the last nine games. And I think my my reply to that was, I'll believe it when I see it, when I see it, because based on the performance yesterday, no one has any intention of rectifying this. Um, you mentioned Danny Ings. I mean, Danny Ings, yeah, so I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of people sort of saying that, you know, he's, he's still playing for the shirt and everything else. He did run around. That's what Danny Ings does. Maybe he's got, you know, maybe he's got a little bit of fitness back. Maybe that rest against Leeds helped, although it didn't help with the result. But I think, I, I think Ings, yeah, he's he's just kind of he's flattering to deceive a little bit. I think it's quite easy every now and again to chase down the keeper or or, or make little bursts of sprinting because that was what will catch the eye. You might not have done anything for five minutes before. What I don't understand with Ings is every single week this this season uh, in 2020, everything he touched turned to gold. I'm not even just talking about like goal scoring. Just if the ball went to Ings, even in a difficult tight situation, you knew he'd end up coming out with either the ball, passing to a teammate, or he'd draw a foul, or he'd just do a moment of it would be a moment of magic. And you just I had so much confidence in Danny Ings in possession to do something brilliant. Um, and no one's got to do something brilliant every time they've got the ball. But the minimum that he was doing was keeping it. And then uh, since his sort of return from that brief injury or during this spell with all this kind of contract talk, he hasn't been doing it. You know, he gives the ball away. Even when he tries a little trick, it doesn't seem to come off. Um, and, you know, I I'm in no position to say whether that's because he isn't as focused and switched on or whether he's it, physically he, he's... Um, being hampered by the amount of games or, or the injury they picked up. Maybe he's not quite over it, but he's not the only one. You know, by, by all means, he's not the only one. Lots of, you know, pretty much all of the players, you know, Vestergaard all, you know, made, has made a couple of little errors, you know, in, in, in the, um, the the goal against Wolves. Neto was unlike him. Obviously, he's come back from injury. A couple of times yesterday where he's so cool and calm and the ball almost got himself in a little bit of trouble. To, to be honest, the, the only players yesterday that I was relatively pleased with were Ward Prowse and again Armstrong, who Armstrong seems to turn up. You could ask him to play anywhere and he'll, he'll do a job for you. Probably worth sticking him at right back at the moment because God knows we haven't got anyone else that can play there. So uh, I thought Ward Prowse was was trying to initiate the uh, initiate the press he was robust in the challenge he was putting himself all over the place and Armstrong did a really good job at that as well in centre midfield but you know you mentioned Ings doing the press and then turning around no one else doing it with him I think we had that when we had a settled 11 who were all playing in a role that they knew inside out um, and these roles are very specific so when we get injuries there's no there's no surprise that the performances are shit because we've got players that not only, well, I'm not talking just simply, oh, we've got a centre back at right back, or we've got, you know, a winger up front. That's not that's not how it works with with Harsin at all. Every single position is there. Are, there's there are specific things that he asks from every position. You know, how do they 
um, join in with the press. What what are, what are they supposed to do on the ball? What are they supposed to do against the ball? You know, he's written a, a playbook. It's not as simple as, oh, we will press together and this, that and the other. It, every position has a specific role in the team. And you think about how Carl Walker-Peters plays. He, he spends so much of his time almost as a right midfielder. Yeah, Bednarak isn't going to do that. Jack Stevens isn't going to do that. You know, you might put Gineppo there. He ended the game yesterday. And then defensively, Gineppo obviously doesn't have the capabilities that Walker-Peters does. So when Ralph tactically gets the guys to play the way they do, it's we're always going to come unstuck when we haven't got specialists in those positions who know how to play it. Which is why I'm surprised that Kane Ramsey doesn't get a go at right back. When, it, when, when we did have all those players, it was brilliant. Tactically, it was genius because everyone knew what they were doing. Walcott came in. He picked up that right inside right position. Armstrong on, on the other side. Adams and Ings were up there doing what they needed to do. Vestergaard pinging the balls out to Walker-Peters. Everything just worked. Now we've got Armstrong having to fill in a centre mid. We've got a centre back at right back. Achai Adams has gone missing off the face of the earth. We're struggling to, to get two wingers together that know what they're doing. So it's no surprise, but... What you know? What's worrying me is not only that performance yesterday uh, against Everton, which was we could have been there all day and didn't look like scoring right until the very end. We didn't get shot on target until that that Vestergaard one in, in in about the eighty fifth minute or something like that. Not only was the performance bad, but then when you listen to Harson Hutel post match, he looks like a man who has is defeated. And when it's going really well, Harson Hutel is a nine or ten out of ten, and the fans love him. And the football we play is great to watch and it's effective and it's he's coaching youngsters and it's amazing. But as soon as shit hits the fan, he's like a one, maybe two out of ten. And we've seen that because you know we've lost 9-0 twice. That doesn't happen if you're motivated and organised. We've gone on this run where we can't get a goal and can't get a win. And we haven't won in, in like ten games. So you've got to question Harsen at all. You know, at his best, he is brilliant. And there are some people who want him gone. I think that's premature. There are some people who think he's untouchable. I think that's naive. You have to judge a manager not just on his best, but on his worst as well. And it works vice versa. And Harsen is such a strange manager because at his best, like I said, he's like a 9 or 10 out of 10. But at his worst, he is really poor. And doesn't seem tactically great, but he doesn't seem to be able to motivate that side. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on that. If you if you blame the players, you know we've got a lot of young players. But I agree in terms of the fact that Hasnutl doesn't seem to have a plan B. And we did put it out on Twitter asking, you know, after one point from a possible twenty-seven, is Ralph the right man to take us forward? And you know, we got a few responses. We've got one from. Uh, at saints underscore fandom that says i they think ralph was is the right man but he's had a lot to learn and he does seem to be quite naive and he's playing players out of position still trying to work out his style which doesn't work and essentially thinks we're a good team full of average players but he then goes on to make the point that during our winning period we remember like everyone in the team put it in at least a seven out of ten performance and he says that that speaks to like of Ralph's philosophy having a core. So a few injuries has disrupted that. So it's almost like I can play with this team, but as soon as you start taking components out, I can't deal with that. And I think that is right of Ralph because when we have our normal first 11, our strongest first 11 out, we are 
we can play some brilliant football. I mean, we had that for what, 50 minutes against Wolves and we played, we looked like we'd turned a corner, gone back to our best, etc. And then obviously Walker Peters got injured, all fell apart a bit. We got uh, at Rob Charles underscore going, I honestly think with some proper investment and a good preseason, Ralph would be able to build a great team. That's the thing. It's investment as well. Like, when, when are we going to get that? We have no idea. The takeover seems on, then off, then on, then off. We have no idea what's going on. And yeah, in a, in a, just to touch on that, in, in, a, in an ideal world, yeah, we'd have someone who's throwing money at it. And Ralph, I'm sure, would be able to, to get two players in every position. Um, so when there are injuries, they could be replaced. Everyone knows their role. And that's great. But that's, that's not, that's not the, the, the cards that we've been dealt. Hassanus knows the job um, and he's not reacting to it. This one I really agree with. This is from Rich Harper, who has a brilliant handle on Twitter, which is at Saint Throbber. So that is um, that that's that's different indeed. But he says he thinks he's the right man, but the run that we're currently on would see any other man sacked at another club. And yes, there is that brilliant relationship between Ralph and Simmons. But I completely agree with you that Ralph is not. He's not the Messiah, but he's also not a bad he's man. He's not a very naughty boy. Either. He's not a very naughty boy either. So I think Ralph is a good manager. I think he's the right manager for us, but you, he's not immune from criticism because when we play at our best, we are brilliant to watch. We've seen that this season. We were top. We were, you know, we beat Everton 2-0. We didn't play particularly well against Villa and we still scored four against them and managed to win that one. We played some really good football this season. But on the other side of the coin, we have, as shown by the last few performances, we've also played diabolically bad. And you just look and think, I think the Leeds game was my most biggest disappointment because we played quite well in the first half and had them. And then as soon as the Leeds goal went in, we just sort of just gave up. And then from there, it was just so disappointing. I thought, I mean, I've said it for ages. I thought against Leeds, a really good opportunity to turn things around. It's a game, an opposition that I think we can really take the game to them and do well. And we were doing that in the first half. Had the penalty rightfully taken away. I don't think it was a foul, but, you know, that, 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 that's in the past now. But, you know... Estegard had a big chance. He did, he did. Early on. Very early on. And, you know, these small margins, if they go our way, then then it could be different results, but they're not going our way and our heads just seem to drop immediately. And that's a, a mental thing. And I'm the reason I, the, the reason I, I think that she, this weekend against Sheffield United is quite, aside from the FA Cup quarterfinal or any FA Cup game we have now for the rest of the season, I think, honestly, this is our biggest game of football. Um, sorry, our biggest game of the season, not our biggest game in football, full stop. Uh, that would be ridiculous. But in terms of this is the best opportunity that we have now to, to get a win and turn it around. No disrespect to Sheffield United, but they are bottom of the league with their points total for a reason. If you can't get a result against Sheffield United, then that is, especially this season, that is incredibly poor. And I don't want to put too much pressure on them because you, we might get a point. Sheffield United might turn up. They might have some like, they, they, they've got to fight for pride because they're certainly not staying up. But everyone at the club has got to be targeting a three points. And you would hate to think, you know, if their confidence is low now, you'd hate to think what it would do to them if they were to lose to the basement boys. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And like, like you said, I mean, Sheffield United are dead and dead and buried. And, and for Southampton, the only team that's having a worse time of it than we are right now is probably Sheffield United. So, And they've still won more games since Liverpool than we have. Oh, I'm sure they have. I'm sure everyone has. But they're, they're still bottom 
the league with with what eleven points or something something like that. So something like that, they've yeah. um they've they've got they've had an awful season. They they'll do well not to be the you know the worst Premier League team on on record. Yeah, just looking at it, they have got yeah twenty six games played and they've got uh, eleven points. They've lost twenty one out of their 26 games. So if that is an opportunity for Sampton to win a football match, I don't know what is. You mentioned that, that last tweet, you mentioned about any other manager at any other club gets sacked for this run. And I think it's true. The same thing was said when we had those record Premier League defeats. He turned it around the first time, yet to do so now. But I think the other thing is as well, and you mentioned sort of Martin Simmons, when you look at the board, they probably think to themselves, whatever manager is in charge... It's got his hands behind, tied behind his back because there's no investment. So if we did get rid of him, we've got a real job on to get someone in who's going to do as good a job as Hassanuttal is. It's not like we've given him loads of money to spend and he's got loads of resources and he can't get a tune out of good players. So we think, well, let's get someone in who can. Um, and that's the argument amongst the kind of Saints fans on on twitter where a lot of them are saying you know people are reacting knee-jerk reactions are saying get rid of him but no one's really providing a kind of compelling argument based on who would come in and replace him so i think harson hittel has a good opportunity to turn it around against sheffield united i think it's doubly important because the game after that is unwinnable um when we go to the etihad so we kind of have, we have like the runaway leaders after we have the rock bottom left behind awful season for Sheffield United have had. So we've got those two games. So you're kind of throwing all your eggs in that basket. Otherwise, if we don't win against Sheffield United, then we're not winning against Man City. So that will be then sort of, what is it, and 12 games? I'm losing Something, something like that with one, so, with one point. Um, without, with, you know, without a win. Yeah, not just without a win, with one point, like you said. So... Yeah, it, it is a big game. But then the, the thing is that after, after that, we, we do have opportunities to, to win football matches. You say I say opportunities. I mean, we, we've had a number of opportunities and we haven't taken them. And I think everyone will be looking at a game against Southampton right now and thinking that is a great opportunity to win, Sheffield United included. No matter what they're playing for, they'll think they could beat us. But after, after Sheffield United and Man City... Saints have got Brighton at home. And then there's that massive quarterfinal against Bournemouth. Right now, Bournemouth are probably thinking, Let, let's play them now. Get those games over. Let's hope Saints don't turn the corner. Then we've got Burnley at home, West Brom away, Palace at home. Those, those are fixtures where we should be looking to pick up some points. But right now, Southampton are in a position where, where we're struggling to get a win against anyone. And a big issue with these games is that we're looking at them as to try and pull away from any danger. I mean, we're still seven points clear. That is, you know, and you're, you've got all the teams below that need to win to go above us. But And Newcastle have had the double blow today of San Maxima and Almiron are out until at least April. So that's two of their best players out, and, as well as Callum Wilson. But I'm just thinking, these games, if they don't go Saints way, it's not a case of we didn't pick up the points and we move on to the next game we're still the same distance away from the relegation zone. It's a case of we lose these games. These teams below us have now gained those points on us and we go closer to the trap door. So there is still a huge onus on Southampton to not lose the matches as much as win them. I mean, Sheffield United is a must win, in my opinion. People have, I've heard a couple of people say 
you know, it's a must not lose. Well, yeah, but she there's no chance of Sheffield United overtaking Southampton. So it's a case of we, we have to be winning that one hands down. And you're right, Bournemouth are going to think this is a very winnable FA Cup tie. I think I heard Jonathan Woodgate say that their priority was actually getting promoted. But, you know, he he's quite a coy person with his answers. And I feel that they will, you know, they, you'd be foolish to think that Bournemouth will not go into that game and like completely gung-ho. I mean, ask Bournemouth that. fans what they want. The exactly. Against, against us when they hate us to the opportunity to get to a semi-final of the FA Cup at Wembley. Exactly. You know, I know they want to get promoted, but uh, they're not going to want the reserve team played against Saints. But yeah, we, we, we mentioned that. We mentioned the fixtures. It, it's amazing, really, that only one round ago in the FA Cup, we were looking at back-to-back -back games against Wolves and saying, I'd rather win the game in the Cup than in the league because there's nothing to play for in the league. How many pundits said they won't get relegated, but they won't get Europe and all that kind of stuff. So, so emphasis on the Cup and Ralph went for it and uh, and I'm still glad he did but now we're kind of we're not in the same position whereby we could maybe rest some players in the game at home to Brighton with an eye on playing a full strength side um, at the Vitality we're not in that position anymore a win against Sheffield United would definitely help that but if we don't then we need to to be putting a strong side out and maybe even dare I say well, if not prioritising, definitely definitely focusing on getting those points on the board because you lose to Sheffield United or don't win and then you do the same with Brighton. And all of a sudden, that, that run, you know, we, we, need, we need form going into that cup game as well. You don't want to be 12 on the bounce without a win going into a, a cup game against your lower leagues or, you know, local rivals, if you want to call it that. But... Mm. We, we then get a part way through that favourable fixture list and we still haven't got any points. So points on the board are necessary. But what, what I am interested in knowing is what, what is your, what's your consensus or what are your feelings on the injury list and the players coming back? Because obviously we've now lost Oriol Romeo. He had uh, ankle surgery. He's out for the season. Kind of murmurs of Walker Peters and Diallo maybe being back at the weekend. I think they're back in training. Do you put them in against Sheffield United? Do you you you, you have an option? Because Walker Peters has come back and gone immediately against Wolves. It's happened a couple of times. He's obviously got some injury issues. Do we wrap him up in cotton wool and maybe slowly bring him back and give him a couple of weeks, or do we chuck him and Diallo in? to give us the strongest side we can in a kind of a gung-ho approach to getting three points at any cost against Sheffield United? I think from what's, what I've seen, I think it's Diallo that's more likely to come back sooner than Walker-Peters. And in, if it's that case, then I would actually have Diallo playing at right back against Sheffield United. Keep Ward-Prowse and Armstrong in the middle because I thought Armstrong, he seems to be doing fantastic wherever he is. And maybe... Do you play Diallo at right back or Ward-Prowse? Because Prowse, I, th I think, is the favoured option. We, we thought it would be Diallo. Um, I can't remember who we were against. He played, he played Ward Prowse there um, in one of the games. I struggled to remember. But he, we all thought Diallo was going to play there and he played Ward Prowse there. He's played him there before. If Diallo is back, do you play Diallo and Armstrong in the middle and play Ward Prowse at fullback? Had an interesting conversation today about Gineppo being an option at right back just because 
we should be in the ascendancy a lot more against a team like Sheffield United than we were against, say, Everton. That's a really good point. And I think Sheffield United are going to look at us as any team will do at the moment. I think this is a game that we can win and therefore Sheffield United United may commit more uh, against us than against, say, Liverpool, where they were sort of just trying to keep it tight at the back. Uh, So I think they're definitely going to have a big go at trying to get something against us. So yeah, that option of Genepo, but the thing is with Genepo is his positioning at right back is poor, to to put it mildly, and it only takes you know, him being out of position once for Sheffield United to capitalise on that and suddenly we find ourselves 1-0 down. Yeah, and, and just a point as well, Sheffield United uh, play with wing-backs. You know, they don't, I can't off the top of my head think of a winger that they actually have available to them. You know, they play two up front, they play McGoldrick off of probably someone like McBurney, solid in centre-mid, and they'll play with those wing-backs. So in terms of our right-back having a direct opposite number to deal with, not necessarily. If we've got... If we've got the, the, wingers if you want to call them that that will be tracking then we should be able to deal with them I know they have the underlapping centre backs I'd be lying if I said I knew whether they still did that or not Sheffield United because obviously they've had to make changes and if they are doing it it's not effectively Gineppo could almost be freed up to kind of go on almost a two-on-one down that side and maybe maybe not have as many defensive duties against a team with that record, but also that formation, if he was to play at right back. Whereas if you're going to play someone like Bednarak there, then I understand the thinking behind putting a defender in defence on the at, on the right-hand side against an Everton or against a Chelsea or even a Wolves with their wingers. But against a, a, a team that plays with wing-backs and is rooted to the bottom of the table, uh, is that an option for us to maybe just put an extra attacker in the team whilst we still have Vestergaard, Bednarak, two of those three with Salasu and obviously Bertrand on the other side. I think you have to. I think we have to have against Sheffield United, a, a whoever goes at right back needs to have an attacking mindset. Bednarak doesn't do that. And I, there were countless times, again, it's last night, that I saw Bednarik make a pass like infield up the right side. And then whoever he passed it to was like pointing like for him to carry on that run. And he didn't. And he just stayed back. Now, yeah, it may leave us a bit more defensively exposed. But Gen- with the Genepo, at least you're going to get someone who's going to make that run on. And that's what we miss so much with Walker Peters, because he moves the ball and then he makes his run. And he'll still go, even if the ball's been hit over to the left side of our defence, he'll still be going up there. And that's where we've seen the Vestergaard ball so many times. Yeah, I agree with that. But you know what I was also surprised at is just how poor Bednarak's been defensively in that position. Because the idea, like I said, works in a broad sense that we put someone who knows how to defend in defence, someone who knows how to defend one-on-one, which you think a centre-back should be able to do. But it's a completely different position at fullback, And you get isolated one-on-one, most likely with someone who is quite quick and Bednarak's lack of pace was glaringly obvious uh, in the last few games. Got beaten and often gave up against Leeds. I think Rafina down that side. And then they brought on Costa, which didn't help. Same with Richarlison, Iwobi and even Dina yesterday. So not only is he not providing anything going forward, but what we did put him there for, I believe, was to, to be assured defensively with so many injuries. And that hasn't worked either. He's a centre-back who covers players and doesn't have to commit himself one-on-one um, and get done for pace. So Gineppo has that. He is erratic. He does throw himself into a tackle, which 
can go one of two ways. Uh, as we saw against Newcastle last year, last game before the lockdown. But and going forward on the ball, he's also erratic. He can he can either be you know fantastic or just have you pull your hair out at times. But it, I I would definitely suggest that either he Kane Ramsey or um, like you said, if if Diallo's available, then maybe you look at putting one of the midfielders at right back. I'd say that would would be a better option. I'd be disappointed if I found that Sally Sue. Vestergaard and Bednarak were all playing against Sheffield United, with one of them playing out wide. Yeah, I would. And I, my preference, if we don't have Walker Peters, would actually be to stick with putting Diallo at right back because I think he's incredibly classy on the ball and he does have he does have a, a good turn of pace on him. And I feel that when we have seen him in that fullback position, he does do he does drive forward on many occasions. And I think that he will bring as close to what we were missing with Walker Peters to that side because. All we need on that right-hand side of defence, as you said, apart from the defensive ability, is that our attacking... If we don't have Walker-Peters on that right side and we're playing someone in and said, our attacking threat is nullified immediately down that right side because we always... We, the number of times on that side we've had to play it back, we play it in and no one's making a run. So I think that Diallo will actually bring a bit more of an attacking mindset to that. And yeah, I would be very disappointed if one of the centre-backs were, were playing it right back, unless it was, you know, I don't know, we've got like four more injuries during the week and that's all we could play. But in terms not of... Be, not beyond the realm of possibility, is it? No. The way our injury list is growing. Guess it was Ralph Hardenhutel's uh, press conference on Thursday or whatever saying like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So we're out. We're without Ings. There's no Armstrong. There's no Minamino. There's no Walker-Peters. I'd like to see Minamino against Sheffield United. I think he'd, he's, he looks a good player. He does. And he, oh, he, yeah, he's another player. Yeah, he's another one that that would be good to, to have back. Now, I know that I can see why Ralph picks Redmond. He's probably the fittest player of, of our players who can actually play the 90 minutes in his style. But there's I don't a want... reason. There's a reason he he you think he's fit the fittest and can play 90 minutes. The fittest player in our team is James Ward-Prowse because, because he proves it because he runs around for 90 minutes like a man possessed. Nathan Redmond spends most of the time on the pitch walking. I'd be fit for 90 minutes if I went for an hour and a half walk. Now, I was going to go on to this, but we might as well talk about it now. And now that you've sort of used the um, Minamino potential return as kind of a segue. Now, Nathan Redmond has always had criticism from Southampton fans. Um, sometimes rightly so, sometimes wrongly. Well, he is the new Thierry Henry. Well, yeah, Priel thought he was, and I, I mean, I was I was glad that Harsonus will finally realise he wasn't a centre forward because that was that was I couldn't it was mind boggling. I didn't understand what he was doing up there. He's put in his favourite position on the left hand side, and again, just awful, honestly. And the, and and the more he plays, the more you focus on him when when you're watching Saints because you know the amount of times I've shouting at my at my screen saying get him off or he's useless the well, I'm at the point now where when Redmond gets the ball I'm just happy if he doesn't give it away I'm happy if he recycles the ball and it goes back to the center back I'll be like okay at least we've still got it that's how that's how bad he's been he doesn't take players on every time he gets the ball I've never seen someone who's supposed to be such an attacking dynamic pacey threat who gets the ball on a counter-attack, turns inside, 
and waits for the entire 11 of the opposition to get behind the ball before then laying it backwards. You're not in the team to do that. And uh, why why Hasenetal isn't giving Nathan Teller a run ahead of him uh, is is beyond me because I think he's looked really promising. And to be honest, although he although he's it's maybe less or maybe it's more controversial amongst fans, I don't think Che Adams has been anywhere near it for the last two months. Well, the whole time that we've been in this rut, even before that, games over Christmas, I remember watching thinking, you know, where is he? And and that adds, that, that's just another example of, when I say that Arsenal doesn't seem to have the man management and motivational sort of skills of a, a really good coach, Che Adams is another one. This, this is twice that we've had an obviously Premier League standard striker, just void of any any confidence. And he's another one, like I was mentioning about Ings earlier, when just kind of things just seem to come off for him. He's reliable on the ball, um, even in tricky situations, just giving it away all the time. I mean, what against Everton, one time I think we were on the attack and he tried to, I don't know who's trying to pass it to, and he tried curling it around the edge of the box and just gave it to the, the, the Everton defence. But... He's been poor, really poor, and uh, I know he's a, he's a sort of a fan favourite, but I don't think anyone can really argue with that. So when you're in a position where Redmond shouldn't even be anywhere near the eleven, Che Adams is out of form. Danny Ings isn't doing what Danny Ings does. Armstrong's having to play centre mid. Is it really a surprise that we have zero attacking threat? And what do you do about it? You know, as a manager, apart from get the best out of those players, which Hustlers is not doing right now, what options are there? We, but that does it, it does emphasise my point of why the hell is Nathan Teller not playing in these football matches because everyone's out of form. Yeah, I I was surprised that Teller didn't start. I think he always looks really, you know, sprightly when he comes on. He looks exciting. He looks to take his man on. You know, he, he won the penalty against Leeds. Yeah, VAR took it away, but that was like some actively driving into the penalty area with the ball. And with Redden, it just, it doesn't seem to happen. Genepo did something against Everton. I think it was in the first half where on that byline, he did nick it round two players, brought it back and Adams just didn't get a good connection on it. But since we last played Sheffield United, and there's 14 games since, our top scorer is actually Danny Ings and Minamino with two goals each. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll be interested with Minamino. I mean, I don't know if he... Is he due to be back against Sheffield United or is he slight, is he behind the likes of Diallo and Walker-Peters? Uh, I think Ralph said it was a, quite a minor injury and he expected him to be back for Sheffield United, whether... That's starting or from the bench. I'd expect him to be in the squad. I'd it seemed to come out of nowhere that injury, mm. didn't it? Because he, he didn't get. I don't. I don't. Well, it might be wrong, but I don't recall him mm. being taken off because of an injury. Although Ralph has mentioned the same with Gineppo, that he picked up an injury late on against Everton, which wasn't obvious mm. to us watching. So whether it was a training injury or not, so let's mm. say they're all fit. Apart from Walker Peters, let's say that Walker Peters isn't fit or he's fifty-fifty, and we don't want to risk him. What? Is the best team to to play against Sheffield United, bearing in mind that we don't have a recognised first team right back and uh, we're missing Romeo and our forward players are out of form because Minamino and Teller, in my you know, and I'll I'll give you the chance to give me the answer to that question in a second, but just Minamino and Teller 
both strike me as players that can either play off that inside that, that a wide ten position on the left, or they can play up front with a recognised striker. Not sure which is best at which position yet because we haven't sort of seen either of them get a really good run out in both positions. But I'd be happy to see those two play, you know, maybe rotating between the two positions, but certainly Ralph should know from training. But, you know, Minamino could play up front with Ings or Teller could play up front with Ings and the other, you know, the other player on, on the left. How, how are you lining up against Sheffield United if, if you're in charge? Well, first of all, I think we stick with Forster in goal because of Sheffield we'll go, United. Yeah, let, we'll talk about, let's, let's talk about the goalkeeping. We'll go on to the goalkeeping situation after we, let's talk, let's talk lineups. But the, the obvious change in goalkeeper is a talking point that yeah. we should address in a minute. So, Forster in goal, I'd go, assuming there's no Walker-Peters, I'd go for a back four of Bertrand, Vestergaard, I'd maybe drop Silisu for this one, have Bednarik in the middle, purely because this is, this, this is a game, Sheffield United, where you're going to need experience and nous to get through it and not a raw player. Salisu didn't have the best of times against Everton. I still think he's a cracking centre-back and he will he will continue to grow as a player. But I feel this is a this is a game where you need experience to get through the through the match and get those three points and not not one to maybe have an experimental one and then have Diallo at right back. Yeah, yeah. So um I I'd I'd agree. So that's the first talking point really, you know, other than the goalkeeper, but I think Forster will play again is who partners Vestergaard. Yeah, Salisu struggled against Calvert-Lewin, I thought was unplayable in the air for Salisu. You know, Vestergaard's got height. Salisu's no slouch in the air, but he, he was, I thought he was fantastic uh, in, in that regard, Calvert-Lewin. And he, he didn't, he was the one that got sacrificed uh, against Everton to bring on uh, a forward player um, with, with Bednack obviously going into centre-back. So I do think that's the preferred pairing. And when you're making so many changes forced through injury, especially to a back line and the goalie as well. I do think some familiarity is, is needed. So I'd agree with you. I'd put Bednarak in there in this more familiar position because we've seen him and Vestergaard play in a in a period where we were unplayable. So, um, yeah, I'd, 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 I would agree with that, with uh, able backup in Salisu if needed. And then we have Diallo at right back. I would then have a midfield to keep it with War Prowse and Armstrong because both of them, they've got six days in between that. So you, I know Armstrong can't play like two games a week, but you expect that to be enough time for him to start that one again. So I would then have Armstrong and War Prowse and they both have ridiculous engines and they're going to need that against Sheffield United because we're going to have to need to keep the intensity high because Sheffield United, they're not going to, I doubt they're going to crumble immediately. They will, they will, you know, try and hold out for as long as possible. But the worst thing we can do as a team is slow down the play. We need to be at them so quickly. I feel like we're too, too pedestrian at the moment and we're not, uh, we're not applying enough uh, tempo to our game. Yeah. And they play, they play three in the middle, Sheffield United as well. So if we're going to play two central midfielders and then obviously those kind of wide number tens, we, we do need uh, a, two central midfielders that are going to put themselves about. And then the two wide players, I'd actually go for Minamino and Jenepo, assuming he's fit. And uh, I, I feel minute they have they have to start. Jenepo has actually impressed me in recent games, especially against Chelsea. He was an absolute rock against Leeds. I can't actually remember too much, but against Everton, he had our main chance. And, you know, he always looks alive. Why? And I think he's actually bulked up a little bit and looks quite, you know, he, he's not, falling over as much as he he did if hopefully he's not injured for the game but then 
I would drop Adams because he's being really ineffectual. And actually, I saw a tweet last night. I can't remember who it was. Uh, so apologies if this was you. But yeah. Adam, yeah. Adams, or uh, 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 apologies, whoever, whoever it may be, but basically said, basically all Adams did last night was run around a lot. And that's what people like praise Shane Long for. And I thought, wow, that is... That is nail on the head at the moment because Shane Long did run around and put himself about, but he didn't score goals. And that's exactly what Shea Adams is doing at the moment. I saw, I saw something similar where someone said, uh, Shea Adams, um, we're going through a list of things that are wrong with our team. And, and the line was something like, Shea uh, Adams at the moment is less effective in front of goal than Shane Long, which um, you know, it's hard to argue with. Well, Shane Long has actually got two goals so far for Bournemouth. He's, he's scored more goals this year than Shea Adams. So I'd actually have Teller up front with things. I think okay. Teller, I mean, Teller is normal position, I think, is a striker for the B team. So I've, you know, he's a striker, play him there. It's not working with Adams. You have to keep Ings in because out, even though he's out of form, he is our best person for putting the ball in the back of the net. And I think, you know, Teller's going to want to prove himself and want to, say right this is my chance to make a mark to nail down my starting position you know Adams isn't doing it why why should he continue to do it when you know I can offer something different yeah I think that's 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 pretty strong uh, the whole Minamino kind of I'm, I'm the enigma that is Minamino that I just want to I want to kind of see more and more of him just really intrigued to see what he can do it just the, the more advanced we get him I feel like the more effective he can kind of be, and I love the idea that him and Ings could kind of could maybe strike up a partnership. Because whereas with Teller pacing behind, maybe maybe that work more in tandem with someone like Danny Ings. So again, it'd be good. It'd be good to see, and I don't disagree that both of them should be playing. Just uh, yeah, maybe even mixing it up, rotating. You know, taking it you know, a bit of fluidity amongst the kind of front four would be would be really good. I personally think that this is a game where we should be giving Kane Ramsey the go. He he signed a, a two-year extension. So when 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 Ralph's loaning out Vokins and Valerie when we're devoid of fullbacks and he's giving Kane Ramsey a, a, a two-year extension. And clearly he's got something about him. He's a right back. So first and foremost, we got a guy who knows how to play at right back. And, and it's just whether he's at the ability to play in the Premier League. But at the moment, Sheffield United aren't at the ability to play in the Premier League. So if we're going to see what he's about and see if he can be relied on, we don't get to see him in training. Ralph might already know that he's not. But in, in that case, I'd question why he's got a new deal. So hmm. clearly there's something there. Why not put him in against Sheffield United? Um, we've mentioned how there probably will be less defensive responsibility. But I'd also, having seen some of him in previous previous seasons I I back him to deal with that as and when it comes I talk I, I'm talking like like you know we're we're playing like we were early in the season which is going to turn up and we're barely ever going to have to do any defending we will have to do some defending just less so than against any other team in the Premier League um so I, I would I'd play yeah same same goalkeeper same centre-backs left back but I would put a right back in Kane Ramsey at right back and with that that enables us to play Diallo and Ward-Prowse in the middle and Armstrong in that wide right-hand side sort of number 10 position. We need to find a name for that. I'm going to call it wide 10 because I find myself every single week we have this conversation. I'm trying to figure out what what the hell position that is because Armstrong has been our best player over, the, over this run. Sometimes he's the only one 
kind of he's doing it on his own, carrying the ball brilliantly, going at players brilliantly. And, and even against Everton, he was going down that right-hand side when that wasn't his position. So, again, I think by taking him out of there, having, having to put him in centre-mid, we lose something. We lose creative flair. If he's playing right midfield, then maybe we would have had a couple more chances against Everton. So I just think by putting Ramsey in there, it gives us that Diallo Ward Prowse strong partnership in the middle. Gives us uh, Armstrong one side, Teller slash Minamino the other side, and then Ings and Minamino up front. No Adams, no Redmond, and in this case it'll be no Gineppo. And that's not because. Uh, I think he's been poor. Whether he's injured or not, Gineppo has had problems with injuries and I don't feel we need to, we should be relying on him to play two games a week every single week because we don't, we want to look after him as well. We don't want another injury. <clears throat> and, and I think he could be really effective off the bench. Uh, sometimes I think he's more effective off the bench because he's fresh and unpredictable and against maybe a tiring defence, that would be really useful. So yeah, not not many, only one change in personnel, but then kind of, because of that a domino effect of maybe two or three changes in position to what you were saying. But we're, we're pretty much agreed on 10 of the 11 anyway. Let's now discuss, obviously, go, go towards like the goalkeeper position because Forster finally came in in place of Alex McCarthy. What, what What's your opinion on that? Because I personally think that, I, th I think that Forster does deserve a run between the sticks. McCarthy... Hasn't it, I? It, sort of mirroring or echoing Ralph's thoughts. McCarthy hasn't necessarily been terrible, but he is not having the best of luck in front of goal at the moment. And I think he made the right choice. Forster had what kept four consecutive clean sheets. Who's to say he couldn't keep another one? And he only let in one goal. And actually, I think it was offside in the end. But he made that terrific save from Richarlison's diving header from that um, yeah. that free kick to show that he still got it. And a lot of people may have said, oh, the, the, Forster, the, the Forster experiment really does work, doesn't it? And I thought, well, hang on. There's not much he could do about Everton's goal. No, nothing. And against Sheffield United, I think he'd work especially against Sheffield United because he's a massive guy and he's going to need to dominate the penalty area. And he quite clearly is able to do that at the moment. He's got the confidence back to go and claim pretty much everything. Yeah, I'm all for it. I think I've made my sort of position on it pretty clear to you previously in previous podcasts. I don't understand why there's such a such a divide and such a kind of a debate and a, a well debate's fine, but like an argument on Twitter between you're either McCarthy or you're forced to, what we've got two good goalkeepers and we're fortunate because there's not many positions where we have two players that can play. McCarthy has not been bad this season. That by by saying that Forster should play, that's not us saying that McCarthy's useless because he's not. I think he's been brilliant at times. But the team is not winning. We don't have many options in terms of first team players that we can bring in to try and mix things up. And that's what I thought he was doing by bringing Forster in. And since hearing Ralph's post-match comments, he's confirmed that. Is, is, is that he we needed a change of fortunes. And he probably looked at his bench and thought, well, I can't bring up, you know loads of these youngsters in. But I've got I've got a, a commanding, vocal, experienced player. Just that just so happens he plays in goal, and uh, changing the goalkeeper seems to be some sort of, you know, some sort of issue amongst amongst fans. It's not. We've got two good goalkeepers. One is in form, and on the bench. One is out of form, and playing. 
So it was a no-brainer for me. It's quite simple. We've got to, someone put someone put it on Twitter. They kind of I think they weren't necessarily arguing the case, but they they weren't happy that people were um, slating McCarthy, which which I don't agree with either. What he's saying is that we've got two first-team quality goalkeepers. One's in form and one isn't. So, and that's what and, and and that's what it is. It's form. It's not class. It's not that n- neither are good goalkeepers. But McCarthy's been making mistakes. Yeah, you know, just off the top of my head, against Arsenal, rushed out, didn't need to, cost us a goal. I still think Forster would have saved that Neto goal, um, although it was Vestergaard's fault to get beaten from that angle. I think a bigger goalkeeper would have saved it. Newcastle, and, and... that pass against Newcastle where we were yeah, back in the game yeah. and he just sort of a lazy hit out to the left. And, you know, Bertrand's got to be switched on too, but it's just the the laziness of yeah. it that really got to me because yeah. I thought, well, it killed the game there. Yeah, and, and, and although it was a mistake, I'm less bothered by it because I wasn't watching the game live. When I heard about it and everyone was, oh, McCarthy, this McCarthy, I thought, oh, God, what's he done? And I watched it and I thought, well, it's not that bad, actually. Yeah, he's given the ball away, playing out as he's been asked to. Bertrand wasn't switched on. It wasn't like he gave it straight to him, gave it to Bertrand, and he, Bertrand just didn't have the time to be able to control it. it, it got dispossessed but yeah there's that and I think Forster's been quite good with the, you know kicking out you know it's not a strong point but he's he's not been any worse than McCarthy and then I think the final straw was was that Leeds free kick Rafinha I think McCarthy needs to save it goalkeeper side really quite far out how it went in I couldn't couldn't really believe it and I think that was kind of the final straw he'd make too many mistakes he's out of form he'd take him out of the firing line and put in a goalkeeper who's played four games and conceded no goals. And despite the fact that we lost yesterday and we were piss poor all over the pitch, Everton had one shot on target. And I I, I don't know the answer as to how it happens, but whenever Fraser Forster is in our team, we defend more efficiently. Whether Whether it looks like it or not, whether people are making mistakes, whether Forster's making... Forster doesn't really make saves, which is what's mad. You know, when he was in the team before, he won most clean sheets in the league, bar maybe one or two teams, but he never really made saves. I just think he organises, um, and that's all I can put it on. But no matter how he does it, if you have a goalkeeper that doesn't concede many goals and we're shipping them left, right and centre, we haven't even mentioned the fact that McCarthy let in nine. So Forster to come in, you know, Ralph needed something to change it. And he's thought, I've got a goalkeeper who every time he plays gets a clean sheet. Maybe I should put him in the team. And I don't think he, I, I don't think he did anything wrong. I, I think he was, he was quick off his line, as we've seen recently. Smothered the ball a couple of times. Couldn't really do anything for the goal at all. And uh, like you said, you know, he did make make that save, although it was offside. Fantastic save. And I, I've been impressed with him since he's come back. Commanding. Had a bit of a flap. But he was fouled by Calvert Lewin, so yeah, that's fine. But I would persist with him, and and Ralph did say that the reason behind bringing him in is that he wanted to give him some game time prior to the cup game. Whether that was the plan or whether that is just kind of a deflection away from McCarthy's form, I don't know. But uh, yeah, I'd go Forster for the foreseeable. Absolutely. I'd, I'd keep him in for the foreseeable future. I was just uh, thinking you said we're not even mentioning that McCarthy conceded nine. Gunn conceded nine. McCarthy conceded nine. Let's put Forster in goal against City and we can complete the set. Well, yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't even want to think about that City game, <laughs> to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I, when, I, when, I, when I was talking to you earlier and, and someone else about, you know, do we go gung-ho 
and throw everything at, at Sheffield United in order to get a um, get a win and then maybe play some of the reserves against Man City. Although we're never going to get anything against Man City, do we risk everything in order to get three points against Sheffield United and then play a weakened side and potentially ship astronomical amount of goals against the Man City side? I, yeah, I don't know. Do you take three points against Sheffield United for a 10-0? Although a loss is a loss, I don't really want to be that no, that team. I actually would, though, because it means we've at least won a game of football. <laughs> it does. But <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, beyond, this, beyond this season, when will it matter, you know? Callum, let's end. Let's end on one a, a bit of a de, a bit of a debate question that I posed uh, posed on, on on our Twitter. We haven't had it answered as such, but I feel it's one we should discuss even briefly. Are we a good team in bad form, or are we a poor team that had a purple patch? I don't think it's as simple as that. Yeah, <laughs> to be honest, uh, I can't really give you an A or B answer on on that one. I think. Um, and we, we've we've been around the houses a bit on this, so I'll try and just sum it up as quickly as possible. But we are when everything is going oh no, it sounds stupid. When everything's going right, then we're good. Well, obviously, it's the same for everyone. But when when we have all the resources and we don't have sort of external issues like injuries and you know, the lack of investment and all that bollocks, when it comes to having players. Our first team, players who can play in certain positions under the stewardship of a manager who's tactically very good at plan A, then we are a very good team. When we rely on a plan B and our backs are against the wall and we're struggling for form and we don't seem to have a manager or a squad that can cope with that, then we are, as, you know, as has been the case for the last nine games one of the worst teams in the league. So I wouldn't say that we were a, a, a poor team that just had a really good, fortunate, fluky run of form, because that wasn't the case. We were really good early in the season. I w also wouldn't say that we were a poor, uh, we were a good team, sorry, that's on a poor run. I think we're a pretty average team that when we have all the resources and everything's going for us, we can be exceptional on our day or for a brief period of time. As soon as you take away a couple of those players and you lose a bit of belief, and we don't have a squad to deal with it, then we're an average team that's missing key players. And vis-a-vis, you know, -vis, we uh, we end up being poor. Final question. Yeah, After one point from a possible 27, how are you feeling ahead of this weekend's game? Um, <laughs> that's a good question, really. I don't know. I hadn't really thought about it. I, I feel that it's a... I'm looking forward to it because I feel... It is a game we should be winning. It's an opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it's a, it's a game. It's a lot. It's a the first match I think since the Newcastle game, and we all know how what that one went. That I've got that we'll be going into a game, and I'm thinking, yeah, we we could and we really should be winning this game. I'm expecting us to get three points against Everton. I had no hopes for before the game. I thought, okay, we'll just see how it goes against Wolves. I was apprehensive, but I did think after the first, obviously after the first half, I was like, yeah, we should be winning this match. But before the game, I was thinking it's still, there's still a difficult team. Leeds, I was excited for, but I knew that they were still going to be difficult. And as I said in the podcast, they could thrash us or we could thrash them. It ended up being the, the former. 
but we've had we have had a run of fixtures where on paper you look at the game and you think this is going to be a, a tough game of football. Sheffield United will be a tough game of football, but as we said earlier, they're bottom of the league with the on course for the worst one of like the joint worst points tally in Premier League history. You shouldn't be go and the players should be going into the game thinking it will be an embarrassment if we don't get if if we lose this match. Yeah, I mean, yeah, an embarrassment might be might be strong because they're they're a Premier League side, you know, on their own merits. But I feel like you know when you you and we've been in many times before with Saints with relegations and things. But when you get so used to losing, there aren't there aren't too many. You know, we've lost eight of the last nine games. The other one we've drawn in the Premier League. One of them we lost nine 0 again. Kind of just thinking there isn't much room for getting worse. Yeah, there isn't much. Yeah, for whatever word is, there isn't much room for us to to get worse. But there is a hell of a lot of room for us to um to improve. And I just kind of when when I hear that we might have some players available, kind of gets me a little bit optimistic because I, despite this crap run of form, I still think if we get our first eleven, then we win a lot of games. And I don't know if that's just naivety or. Or the opposite, whether that's just realistic and we see it for what it is. We are a side with a small squad and one way of playing. When we've got the team together, we can take on almost anyone. When we haven't, you watch it from behind the sofa. But if, if you're going to tell me that we've got Diallo back, Minamino back, and especially if we've got Carl Walker-Peters back, then I'm, despite that crap I watched last night, I'm all over that game against Sheffield United and I think we'll beat them and we'll beat them easily. But that's that if we haven't, then then we'll do well to come away with three points. And I don't think Sheffield United are going to be mugs. I haven't seen a lot of them this season, but yeah, I don't know what's going on with them. But there's no there are no freebies in the Premier League, let's put it that way. So I'm I'm optimistic of this week or this weekend being the game. Where we where we finish this run of of losses or, or or just not winning, we put that behind us. We get that three points that pushes us nearer that kind of magic total of survival. So we can look forward to the cup and just seeing out the league and maybe getting sort of over forty points or whatever. So right now I'm looking, yeah, I'm looking forward to that game. But if, you get to, if, if I get to the end of that game and we've lost it, then I'll probably feel uh, really shit, Tom, if I'm honest. Oh, for a minute there, I thought we were going to end the uh, the episode on really high notes. Yeah. I'm feeling I'm feeling positive. I'm feeling positive. But now, if we lose that game, I'm going to be re- feeling really sick. The lowest, really the shit. Lowest of lows to, and to end it. Here's a lower one for you. The image of Dave McGoldrick wheeling away in celebration. Oh, the one nil winner in the last minute. How about that? A one 0 winner where it's uh, it's given in the last minute. VAR give it, uh, and it's the oh, exact yeah. it's yeah. the exact par- it's the exact parameters that uh, or uh, that Shea Adams' goal got disallowed or Danny Ings got disallowed, but they put it as onside. Or David Armstrong, uh, David McGoldrick has clearly used his hand, and they're like, "Nah, we'll give it, we'll give it just for for the bants, as it were, you know, because why not?" No, I'm I'm feeling positive. We- Got to win, haven't we, Tom? We've got to win. Let's think. Like thinking about it, we without knowing an awful lot about Sheffield United this year. Like, last year, I knew a fair bit about them because they were pulling up trees, and you're like, "Oh yeah, they've got a great back three, and you know this this works and that works, and they've got 
Stevens and Bulldog are brilliant on the, you know, this season, they're shit. They've kind of got the same players, which, so without being a Sheffield United fan or a kind of a follower of them, don't really know what to put, you know, I'd put my finger on it. But the players that we've got and the the ability that we know we have, we're not, we're, we're not put, we don't seem to be able to find that right now, but we've seen it only a few months ago that we were beating teams left, right and centre. Surely we can beat this Joss. I yeah. expect that, that, quote quote that when you put the podcast out on Twitter. <laughs> Surely we can beat this Dross, and then we'll see we'll see where that ends up at the weekend. But I'm just you know Ings Armstrong Walprouse in the middle Minamino coming in. Like surely we have got the attacking threat to beat Sheffield United. Although we don't seem to have any attacking threat at the moment whatsoever. So I'm just yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? Because you kind of you you're hanging your hopes on the potential of those players that we've seen previously. But right now, those don't seem to be the players that we have available. So it's, it's, it's a bit odd. But this this run will come to an end um, at some point during this run of fixtures. And I'm just hoping it's against Sheffield United. I can just see it now. Surely we can beat this dross. And then football uh, fo- football pictures that precede unfortunate events or, ter- <laughs> or terrible football takes with Roy Keane just going, eh? Yeah. 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 Well, we'll open it up to that. That's fine. But yeah. no, I, I, I think we can beat them, surely. I'm looking forward to the game. I think we can beat them. I'm expecting a win. And then if we don't beat them, then next week you and I will just put out an hour of silence and muttering and just going, saints, eh? <laughs> I don't want yeah if we don't win that game I don't oh god I, the only positive I, I'm thinking at the moment is that even if we don't win Fulham's next three games are Spurs Liverpool and City so you think thinking that they're not going to gain too much ground on them although one of my mates a Fulham fan would you believe it thinks that they could realistically get seven points from those fixtures I, I think they could beat Spurs they're not bad Fulham you know I wish Fulham would. I wish Fulham would be in as shit as they were earlier in the season because yeah. then we wouldn't have anything to worry about. But the fact that Fulham are putting in a bit of a fight, a run at the moment. I mean, I, I think that they can beat Spurs at Craven Cottage. So looking at looking, I don't know if we want to do this really, but looking at the league table, Fulham win that, they go on twenty six points, level with Newcastle, who are in trouble with those injuries, and Brighton, four points ahead of them, Saints. So if we lose to Sheffield United and Fulham beat Spurs, we find ourselves four points from 18th with our next game against Man City. We are then right in the Brown stuff and they'll make for an interesting end to the season. (laughs) And on that note, Callum, I think let's leave everyone sort of feeling a bit anxious about the football. So if you want to um, just... Talk it. Talk your worries through to us. You can find the podcast at under <laughs> underscore saints. There's a fucking outline. <laughs> <laughs> you can you can contact us on Twitter for the under underscore saints uh, helpline for any Southampton fan in dire need of some positivity to go into this weekend. Or if we lose, it will simply be um, we have no idea what you need to be doing. You can find me at t two one four Murray. Yeah, you can find me at Callum Wilson. 21 um unfortunately you can't find our ad in the paper for uh for for with well, a phone number for a bit of uh a bit of guidance and emotional support uh i try and i try to remember what they they used to have the bits in the old tabloid papers didn't you we, yeah. 
you write in to uh, to to a supposed woman who'd kind of uh, help you uh, oh, like some agony, your... agony aunt yeah yeah <laughs> that sort of stuff yeah yeah unfortunately that's not a service uh, we're we prefer- currently supplying but yeah who knows what the future holds well you know if we lose to Sheffield United and Fulham, Fulham beat Spurs we may have to set one up Callum yeah someone's gonna have to all but, we can- uh, yeah doesn't matter it, 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 yeah that's all hypothetical because we're going to come away with, with a 5-0 win win at Sheffield United uh, it's going to be a goal for Ings uh, there's going to be a, a worldy free kick from James Ward-Prowse um, and uh, and Che Adams off the bench is going to, uh, one's going to go in off his ass, um, and he's going to be offside, but VA is going to fuck it up and going to give it and all of the demons will be exercised. <laughs> and Ralph Heisenhutl will burst into tears on the <laughs> yeah. pitch. And... Oh man, the irony that he hasn't won a Premier League game since he burst into tears on the touchline against against Liverpool. I mean, he's gone from, like, the messiah at that point. Everyone else was taking a piss out of him, but Saints fans, no one cared because Saints fans were like, this guy is everything. Yeah, look how much he cares, all the rest of it. Really thought we were onto something then. Nine, nine Premier League games later, and uh, we'll, we'll be he could be crying on the touchline because he can't figure out how to beat Sheffield United. He'll be crying as a first minute McGoldrick's just scored a bicycle kick and we're just thinking, oh God, what's going on? Well, all we can do as any type of support to you Saints fans is just tell you to uh, stay safe and uh, stay wonderful. (laughs) Oh man, what a sign off.